0: so we are back. I'm sitting here with none other than Dan Flanagan. Dan, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. It's, it's really good to have you here. I feel like we've been talking about this for a long time, and we finally got you up from San Diego. You made the long drive. I made the long drive. What happens on it's, these drives?
1: <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. I actually do a lot of driving between Southern California and the Bay Area. I spend about a week, a month in San Francisco, uh, in Silicon Valley. And the funny thing is, is I, I kind of developed this habit of driving just so I have my car while I'm there. Um, it's a lot more flexible than coming into town and not having it, especially if you're jumping back and forth with meetings. And so I've, I've gotten so uh, used to driving, you know, six, seven hours. And it's almost like this decompression opportunity. And I listen to folks like you and i listen to audiobooks and it um i arrive at my destination and it's like wow what just happened i think
0: i think this sounds like the next big meditation trend. (laughs) silicon valley (laughs) is driving up and down the california coast yeah with
1: with with specific audio like in tune (laughs) to kind of and it's funny you say about the coast because i've gone you know multiple times to the central valley the coast is about an hour longer but it feels about three hours shorter really because you're driving up the coast because you have this you know variation in the in the scenery and yeah it's
0: so tell people why you're why you're driving up and down the coast i feel like you're one of the best entrepreneurs i know you always you always have something going on in one pocket and another pocket (laughs) and another pocket uh so so tell people sort of what you're up to right now
1: so you know one of the things in kind of maintaining a presence in san francisco and silicon valley or the, the entire area i i've always felt like that's an important thing you know, as an entrepreneur, as someone who's either at any one point advising a company, building a company, raising money, whatever the case may be. I also grew up there. So I have family there. I'm fortunate enough that I don't have really any cost associated with staying up there. Um, so, so vital. Yeah. So that's, you know, yeah. I mean, if it was, you know, a two to $400 a night, you know, hotel bill, I'd, I'd be probably adjusting my strategy a little bit when it comes to physically being there. Um, so one, I just find you know, the, the, the presence of being there and the, um, the opportunity to run into people and just kind of have meetings in a concentrated period of time and touch base with folks that are there, that that's, that's critical.
0: I, I am always amazed by you because I will end up having conversations with other entrepreneurs in the Bay Area, in LA, and in San Diego, and they all know you. Like you're covering three cities at once right now, which is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's funny because I think on my Twitter account, I have like, you know, California love is my location tag or something (laughs) because it's just kind of up and down the coast. But I'll tell you a funny story. I was walking down, um, you know, I'd gone up for a trip and I was, um, uh, walking down a street in San Francisco, going from one meeting to another. And this guy is walking toward me and I was at a distance. I didn't really realize who it was. And, um, he all of a sudden locks, kind of locks eyes and starts moving toward me at a somewhat rapid pace. I was a little on edge, like, what is this guy doing coming toward me? And I realized it was a a fellow entrepreneur that I've had multiple meetings with. He just happened to have sunglasses on, so I couldn't tell from a distance with everything going on who it was. And it's that, it's that thing of like, you know, you're there, you're going to run into someone on the street, you're going to be having, you know, coffee somewhere and uh, a well-known entrepreneur is sitting right next to you and you're overhearing a conversation. So it's just, you know, making sure that you're in the mix. Um, And for me specifically, you know, there's a, there's at least one project at any one time that I'm pretty actively engaged with and working on where either the headquarters is there, even though maybe uh, a bunch of the team may be remote, but the headquarters is there. So I'm checking in, spending some time. Um, Last time uh, I was up was with uh, a, a company that um, I'm working with serving as their CTO right now, which is Snowball, which is a crypto, uh, crypto investment app. We can talk about it in, in a little bit. But the amazing thing is, you know, I'm up there. Not only am I getting FaceTime with the CEO, but he all of a sudden says, hey, I've got, you know, two or three investor meetings today. You know, let's make sure you're in the meeting. And so. You know, over the course of a couple days, you know, we have six really uh, engaging, successful meetings. and uh, and then I head back here and I hunker down and and help them run product and uh, and the engineering team. And so you know it gives you an opportunity to step outside of what your day-to day is and you know engage in a very uh, personal one-on one way.
0: Yeah, I think the best entrepreneurs are finding ways of being everywhere at once. Mm-hmm. I think that they learn, at least for me, FaceTime is really, really important. Getting in there and actually having focused time to work with entrepreneurs, and I feel like I see you doing that often. Which means to me, you're you're successful. I see too many entrepreneurs that are just trying to cover their bases, do too many phone calls, do too many too much of this. But I see you focusing on specific projects at a specific time, and I think that other entrepreneurs notice that and and say that to you.
1: Yeah, and I, I think there's a big, you know. Uh, there's a big push when it comes to, I think, meditation and everything, when it comes to like being in the moment, right? Yeah. And I, I think there's something, there's a place where we've, we've taken ourselves when it comes to whether it's email or it's Slack or it's texting or it's WhatsApp or whatever it might be. They're all fantastic tools. I mean, we would not get along without them. But to be completely honest, my email volume is way down. But my Slack volume in comparison to where my email volume used to be Is way up and there are just some people that you work with who interact differently when they are behind a keyboard than they do when you're face to face and I think um, you can cut through some of the communication challenges that you might find when you're constantly behind a keyboard when it's very easy to jump from one channel to another one topic to another to quickly paste links to assume that people on the other side are reading that information or that, you know, your, your email is being covered uh, from top to bottom. When, when you're physically in a room with someone you can sit down and have a conversation, you know, you, you cut to the, to the core of whatever problem you're trying to solve, whatever product you're trying to outline and, and develop. Um, so it's just required. I'm, I'm a big fan of distributed teams. I work with a, with a fantastic development team in Kiev, in, in uh, Ukraine. But I went and spent, you know, spent a week with those guys, <laughs> yeah, you know, hanging yeah. out. So, so, um, and even the time sometimes you spend, it, it may be that you come back and through the tools you use, you're even more productive when you're remote and using those tools. But um, that's amplified once you've you've spent some personal time with someone. Someone. Hey, everybody, someone. this is Ben. So I wanted to take a second away
0: from the podcast to tell you we are now offering chance bending coaching. So it's an exciting, I'm so excited about this. It's crazy. Basically, we offer a program where we help entrepreneurs get results. First and foremost, we help you get results. We have incredible testimonials. We've helped so many people over the last year or so. And I think you're gonna love this program. We give you an actionable plan. We teach you how to run business models. We really just help you move toward that entrepreneurial life. You were meant to lead. So pure and simple, we create business results. If you act now, we have a special. Just go to bensmith.tv. We have $100 off. It's so affordable, guys. It's like I can't believe we can offer it at this price. Like right now, we're offering coaching at $297 a month. I don't know anybody that can meet that price. That's what we're doing. You get all sorts of media. You get modules. You get courses. You get all sorts of stuff. It's like I, I'm so pumped to offer this to you. So go again, bensmith.tv. Click join now. Join the Chance bending Network. It's awesome. Um, all right,
1: back back to the podcast. So so tell us tell us about this crypto project. So Snowball is the first what we call smart crypto. Um, investment automation platform, so SCIA. And if you you think back to like when Salesforce started, right, they kind of coined the term SaaS, right? So we're trying to kind of coin a new term and a new category here. So you can think of it kind of like Wealthfront. Um, yep. What you effectively do is when you download the app, you're able to invest in one of a number of different crypto portfolios. And those portfolios map some of the popular uh, crypto indices that are out there on the market that are only available to accredited investors. So through Snowball, access to those portfolios is going to be available to the the standard retail investor. And you know, as you know, my my background being uh, someone who's always, well, first and foremost, been focused on how does a person interact with technology. Like, you know, how do you make that interaction natural and easy? Um, and then focusing to a great degree on top of that, when it comes to social apps, that to me, one of the big challenges crypto has always had is that it's been in the realm of, of geeks, right? It's, it's something where you have to understand, you know, how to get a wallet, how to have that wallet address. You have to research different crypto coins you know, kind of built into the structure of both, you know, cryptocurrency slash blockchain is this barrier where it's not necessarily incredibly accessible to uh, to the consumer. So, you know, part of my goal and part of one of the things that attracts me so much about Snowball, you know, as a product um, is kind of this idea of, one, taking something that's incredibly complex and making it simple. We kind of joke that um it's grandmother proof. You know, we're trying to build a grandmother proof UI, taking a lot of cues from Apple when it comes to user experience and and ease of use. Um, but also taking something that, you know, up till now, you've had to spend a lot of time researching, a lot of time um, reading blogs, signing up for newsletters to understand crypto and putting some of that uh, some of that intelligence behind the scenes so you know, you can invest in kind of an index fund strategy and not have to sit there every single day worrying about what coins up, what coins down. Right, right. You know, and so I think it's the combination of both. And it's funny that, you know, I I don't know, I was listening to another podcast the other day when someone was talking about design and they had brought up the same thing. They said, well, you know, every time I I design something, I, I focus on making it, you know, I always think, could my grandmother use this? And so that's kind of, you know, that's the threshold we're trying to meet and to say, hey, you know, this is accessible to to everyone. And a lot of the folks we have uh, on our wait list, because the, the app is in beta right now. A lot of the folks So
0: so our people can't get on there quite
1: yet. Can't get on there quite yet. Not yet. But if they're interested, they can go to uh, snowball.money or secret.snowball.money <laughs> to sign up for that to sign up <laughs> for that I, I wait like, list. I like those URLs. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, the the a good chunk of the folks who are on our wait list are you know, younger individuals who are looking to get into crypto, who haven't yet, who you know want something that's going to uh, make that experience a little bit easier, and and make that experience a little bit more of a, a guided one and not just a, a shot in the dark when it comes to how, what, how what do you guys interested.
0: combat? I mean, uh, we've all seen crypto valuations or, or values yeah. go down in the last year, year and a half. How are you guys, how how do you think about that as a marketer?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, as as a marketer, I think of it, I think at a very high level, I think you're always, and if you look at the trends in crypto, you know, you're gonna have your bear markets, you're gonna have your bull markets, right? And as a marketer, I think, and, and this is one of the things, a lot of these, these folks we have signing up are folks who aren't in crypto yet. They're kind of now looking at this, you know, what essentially is a bear market and saying, okay, now's the time for me to get in. Because in the last bull market, it's all the folks who got in kind of previously, you know it was 2013, 2014, uh, folks who you know realized that that crypto was a was an interesting uh, asset to all of a sudden be engaged with and they're the ones who kind of made out in that in that bull market we had. So I think that's you know that's one thing that you're always going to have these um, these fluctuations in the market. if you think about companies like, you know Coinbase, who kind of you know, spent a lot of time building out what they had as an offering, and then they were there and they were ready when the when the market took off. Um, so I think that's that's one thing. I do think we're we're reaching a new generation of folks who are, like I said, interested in crypto, but not necessarily looking to do. You know, they're not all super geeks who are looking to do all the research or who were uh, into crypto because of the blockchain technology behind it. Right? they're They're more into crypto because of the aspirational idea of like, hey, I need to diversify investment and I shouldn't just have stocks, but I should have some investment in cryptocurrency as well. Um so as a marketer, I mean it, the the company is really a strong you know marketing company our Our message is about you know what you can achieve if you uh, take an approach to smart investing and much less um, about you know, Promoting uh, you know a given coin or a given project and that's one reason why kind of that index approach it's the you know It's the Warren Buffett uh, Index investment approach that
0: it's super interesting because it sounds like what you're saying is Let's treat this as a real financial instrument and and less about the technology itself in some sense Uh, It's it's this idea of like look this is a class of investment we are going to talk to people like it's a class of investment. As you said, there's bull markets, there's there's bear markets. But what's important here is that our young customers want to diversify. They want to they want to get into an emerging field. But the specifics of the emerging field are less important in this product. And I think that that is that
1: right? Yeah, I mean, I I think crypto as a way to diversify your overall portfolio is important. Um, but i think you know again the the specifics of tracking you know these aren't folks who want to be day traders right these are people who want to start to put some money away i mean one of the big features we have is that idea of the of kind of the dollar cost averaging of you know every single month having a recurring deposit you know going into your account so that you know you're you're spreading that out you're also making it a little bit easier you know on yourself and kind of automating that that savings uh, that you want to put away so yeah, it's it's really kind of approaching to some degree a, a maturing consumer market for the asset that's there. And then if you take a look at everyone on, you know, the banking side of things and everyone in finance, I mean, digital is where this is going. Yeah. This is not going back, right? So, so the question ends up being, you know, great markets are gonna are gonna rise and fall, but this this idea of the digital asset is only going to continue to, to strengthen, it's not going to go backwards. And we see that across the board, whether it's, you know, infrastructure improvements using this type of tech, you know, financial infrastructure improvements using this type of technology. So you, don't, you know, the story always told by folks in the spaces, right? It's It's easier for me to, if I want to get to my, to my friend or relative uh, overseas, it's almost easier for me to fly, you know, with, with cash in a bag as opposed to using like, you know, using the banking system. So it's always going to be driving toward, you know, faster, uh, faster, more immediate, more efficient ways of, um, of transferring value. And so, you know, we think there's a, there's a role in that from a consumer standpoint.
0: So you, you've been involved, I mean, I've known you for a long time now, it feels like, uh, you've been a pioneer in what I would call the B2C space with social media. You were involved with VR. You've done just a number of projects over the last 10, 12, 15 years. How
1: is this one different? Like How, how does this
0: one feel different to
1: you? Um, You know, it, it feels, you know, I, I wouldn't say anything feels different. I've always been, my kind of Venn diagram is <laughs> anything that, I can put myself in the shoes of the end user, of the consumer, that I have some empathy for what they're going through, what they're trying to achieve. And I can do it in a detached way, right? Where I can say, I don't care if, I, you know, if this is my product I'm building, I don't care if I've invested my own money in this. Like I am, I have to look at this, you know, objectively from the eyes of the, of the user, understand what they really want. And that's, that's what I've been doing since day one in my career in tech. I mean, the the first time I ever realized I wanted to go into product is because a guy I worked with and I I, I was doing kind of like inside sales. This was one of my first first positions. I didn't know you had a little sales a little sales in you. Well, I was given I, I was given this interesting opportunity where where the sales team was saying you know kind of it was like come to the dark side, come do sales, and then the product team was saying no no come over here and do product, and I had to choose. And, um, but I I like
0: how sales, (laughs) the dark side on this, on this example, I'm
1: only, I'm only giving say, you know, I was telling someone the other day that the the great thing about being a a product person, and I think he, he had, he had mentioned something to me about, gosh, you know, in so many conversations with founders and stuff, you can be so diplomatic. And I said, well, it's because if you build your career in product, you're usually putting yourself between sales and marketing and engineering. And most of the time engineering is saying, why on earth does sales and marketing want us to build this? And sales you know sales and marketing are saying why the you know why the hell is an engineering building this? It's for a us? nasty battle. right. So being in the middle of that, you, you learn how to how to kind of manage both uh, uh, both uh, sides of that. And I've forgotten where we were going, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think um, the, the, the Venn diagram for me was the the, the fact that having this social, Kind of like putting myself in the in the in the shoes of the end user, and then always being intrigued by technology that's still defining itself as it goes. So the first company I started was in the mobile space, doing you know marketing uh, SMS and text message marketing. We're kind of like the Mailchimp for for text messaging. You were early on that. Yeah, we we yeah. were early. I, I remember sitting in sitting in meetings or like you know these large angel groups, and there'd be a bunch of kind of. Now, I look back, they're probably closer to closer to my age now, but like old, old investors in the room going, you know, text messaging is never going to be big. And, um, you know, so we were probably, you know, three or four years too too early on that. But what that did for me was it put me smack dab in the middle of mobile right about the time, you know, when the iPhone was launching and all of this. And it allowed me to develop an expertise in mobile, which was something that was just defining itself, right, as it rolled forward. And that's the same reason for my interest in in VR and AR. And um, there, you know, there's a company I I advise on on that front as well, um, because again, it it's just it's being defined. It's like the track is being laid out, you know, for the train to roll over it as it's as it's moving down the tracks. And to me, that's that's incredibly interesting. I you know, folks have approached me with projects that are in spaces that are very mature that already you know have existed for years and it's just it's not as exciting as, you know, um, building the first crypto app of its type or you know having uh, working with an engineer who's solving, you know, the ability for multiple VR and AR headsets to all work together, you know, on the same yeah, platform. Yeah. It, it's it's just, you know, it um,
0: I, I've been meaning to tell you, I've been jumping a little bit back into VR AR. Have a little project going with somebody. And I think we might have just pulled off the first of its kind in the world. And it's just like there's just this amazing feeling when you're like, wait a minute, are we the first people in the world to do this? Yeah. And I and and I you just can't reproduce that feeling in any other way. I feel like, and I think that's what you're describing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's it's just it's also knowing that like each step you take, you're developing a base of knowledge that. Even for a selfish reason where you're kind of like, hey, you know what? Um, It's not just that, you know, you have an expertise in a particular, you know, particular vertical, but you have like expertise in a sub subcategory of that or even a subcategory of that. So all of a sudden, you know, the demand for your knowledge and the demand for your skills can be that much, you know, um, you can be that much more in demand. Um, and so I think that's an important thing just from a from a career standpoint. And I just learned that on, on the mobile side of things.
0: Yeah, I've, I've been impressed with the way you market yourself as an entrepreneur. You seem to attract uh, really great teams of people that are looking for a thought leader. They're looking for a, a product leader. And you seem to know how to speak their language, uh, which is really, really valuable.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's it's something I think you develop over time and it only, it just improves by having multiple experiences with, with, you know, different teams and different, different folks and, you know, diverse teams. I mean, even when I think now about engineering teams that I've worked with locally or remotely, you know, whether it's a team in China or a team in India or a team in, in Kiev, you know, it's, or, you know, here locally, you know, even that, um, helps you develop those communication skills and, and project management skills and all of that that requires really taking an idea, you know, at the end of the day, as a, I consider myself a creative person, taking an idea from just a concept all the way through to something that's in someone's hands. That, you know, that's the thrill. Um, that first company I was talking about working working at way back when in, in Silicon Valley, when I started in, in tech, was a, was a hardware company. It was consumer hardware. So back then, you know, most consumer hardware was sold at, you know, Comp USA or Fry's Electronics or, or, you know, somewhere like that. So the thrilling thing there was to design something, get it, you know, built by the engineering team, get it manufactured. It would go into a retail box. And as a product person, you were responsible for that whole thing. And then it would end up on the shelf. And sounds creepy, but I would go, you know, well, we kind of had to do this anyway. We had to go and, and check, you know, retail shelf placement and everything but i you know i'd go into one of these retail stores and i'd kind of like stand there in the aisle you know and yeah. if someone came by looking at the different you know products that were there in the aisle it was kind of like, oh have you considered uh, have you considered buying that one there you know <laughs> and you know seeing someone actually pick something up and make that make that decision that's you know that that to me was incredibly you know incredibly fulfilling type of thing and it still is tell tell us about butter so butter is a social discovery app um, we've been iterating on butter for, gosh, probably now, I mean, in, in, a, in a serious way for about five years, um, in a less than serious way and just kind of as an ex- experiment before that, you know, uh, you know, probably three or four years uh, in advance of that. And part of what butter became was a little bit of a, of a happy accident in finding kind of what we felt our... Or our eventual product market fit. So, ton of dating apps on the market, right? Um, not only the the top dating apps that are out there, but if you just look in the category, there are new dating apps popping up all the time. Um, and there are you know a bunch of social apps like Instagram, et cetera. Um, no one. Like what year was this? gosh so 20 like 2012 2013 is when I think we really kind of hit the ground really with this. at the height of consumer social yeah. apps app store people going crazy probably one reason why we kind of leaned into it at that you know yeah at that point yeah, yeah. Was, um, I mean it was just
0: I'm just trying to describe the scene to people yeah, because know. it was it was a different era it really was even though it was only six seven years ago
1: oh I remember exactly where I was when when the news broke that you know that Instagram had been acquired. Yeah, which is kind of, you know, you talk about historical moments when you remember where you were, but I mean, you know, uh, for it's the same for, day that Whitney Houston died, right? Yeah, I think it may have been. I, yeah. I, I have I sort of conflate the two. Two could be it could could be very yeah. close. Um, and yeah, so social and again, social was one of those things that always always intrigued me from the standpoint of, you know, content created by users, giving users, kind of empowering users to be creative in some way, right, to express themselves, um, you know, uh, knowing that you could launch something that overnight, you know, if not 5,000, 10,000, hundreds of thousands of people could be using, um, which to me, you know, as, as a product person, when you're always you know, looking for engineers and people work on a project, you you know the difference between like, well, we have this idea, we're thinking of building it, we don't know if we have product market fit yet, can you come on and join the team versus, hey, how would you like to work on a project that has, you know, 30,000 monthly active users, you know, where when you make a change, you know, pretty quickly, you know, what type of impact that change is having on, on you know, the 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 base of users. So that was the environment we were in, and, you know, we just had created a very like basic kind of minimal viable product that was a feed of photos and then users, you know, interacting with those photos kind of rating them um, on a one to 10 scale. And, uh, and it could be anything. It didn't have to be based on someone's looks. It could be, you know, what do you think of my, we kind of added this, uh, this idea of a photo question. So every time someone posts a photo, it was, what do you think of my and fill in the blank? So, we thought okay, people like what do you think of my shirt? I think what do you think of my smile was one of the biggest, you know, uh, biggest questions. But then we had you know, people doing things like you know, what do you think of my, you know, what do you think of the mistake I made? You know, and it was a guy posting a photo from a a, a hospital bed. And he had been he'd been shot because he was outside of a drug deal or something. You know, or what do you think of me meeting my adopted parents for the first time? Right? There were some of these really interesting kind of heavy photos people were posting with this idea of this question giving those photos context and so you know we started getting this activity we started getting these downloads uh you know we did some interesting hacks to do some 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 growth hacking stuff um and we thought okay we're at this point we're going to go and start to talk to investors about this and i remember the consistent feedback we had from the investors we talked to was you know all of them looked at it and go and you know they all agreed there's something going on here there's an interesting you know there's an interesting dynamic happening with you you users. got that VCO, oh there's something, there's something going on there, there's something interesting like, yes. But, yes but but we're not sure what it is <laughs> 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 and we would try to explain hey you know what it's um it's a young it's kind of a teen early twenties demographic these are you know this is why these people are doing this it's not a it's not a dating app it it it's something else and We finally, uh, you know, after kind of scratching our head and going, like, what's going on here? We started looking at at our reviews, you know, in the app store. And the review, I mean, we were getting such, I mean, we were doing some things to, you know, prompt people to review. But we were getting such positive reviews. And we started to look at those reviews. And a lot of them were saying, like, I've met such great friends on here. I met this amazing friend on here. There's this other friend, you know. And it was all about meeting friends, And this wasn't an app that, you know, you could pick your geography. It was, you went on, you saw someone come into that feed, post a photo, whether it was, you know, what do you think of my abs? Or, you know, what do you think of my new guitar? And it was people striking up, you know, conversations, either comments on the photos or going into private chat with these other users. And since then, I mean, we've had users who have, you know, met each other and, and, and gone on vacation together. We've had people who, you know, they're now married because they met on the app. Um, And so it really came down to where we found that product market fit was in what we essentially is a friend discovery. And that you still, there are still very few apps out there, very few tools out there, social tools that allow you to find someone else to, at a minimum, just just talk to you, has a similar interest. Or maybe, you know, I'm going to, travel to another country and I want to either maybe make a friend before I arrive or at least chat with someone about, you know, what should I be doing? What should I be seeing, you know, when I'm visiting? And so we kind of found this interesting thing by accident, which was we never had geography be a key uh, component in how you would find someone to talk to. So we never had this issue of having to have enough, um, enough density in any geographic location for it to take off. Like, you know, if you're in LA and you're only looking for other people in LA, you've got to have a lot of users in LA to be able to chat with someone. Since we never had those limitations, it was, you know, the world was the playground for folks to find other people to talk to. And so that, you know, to me was kind of the the mistaken hack was that we didn't limit it by geography, which allowed us to allowed anyone to immediately get on the app and find someone to talk to um, anywhere in the world and I mean and w- we still see users coming in in Tehran in Iran um, see users coming on obviously in in India and Asia in you know Russia all over the world and so um it, it, really it reminds
0: me how powerful community is yeah and and if you can create community online magical things happen yep but it's hard it, you don't know what it is until it's there right and then all of a sudden and the, and then all of a sudden it's there and then you're trying to get your hands around it you're trying to get your mind around it and it's so cool that you built this thing and then it took on a life of its own and then you had to sort of move in and shape it along the way over the years
1: yeah and we're still you know we're still doing that i think you know early on it's funny early on we were this you know this rating component and i remember I'll do the name drop here. I remember pitching it to Chris Saka um, when he came by Mucker once. He looked at it, and it was the same type of thing. Like, interesting, the activity that's going on here is kind of, you know, it's interesting. And then I heard him on uh, Kara Swisher's podcast, you know, like a year later. And she said, well, is there anything you you wouldn't invest in? He goes, I saw this app once that... um, You know, it had, you know, teenagers were posting their pictures and then, you know, someone could go in and and, and rate them and and give kind of a – Give kind of a negative rating, and I don't know. I I would never want to invest in anything that was negative like that. I actually heard that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I heard that. And, one. <laughs> and I, I I didn't
0: realize it was you.
1: Yeah, I, and I tweeted to him, and I said like uh, I don't I don't know what I said. I said, well, I'm glad you know I'm glad you remembered the pitch or something like <laughs> that. And 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 he you know he replied back with a funny with a funny reply, but um, but it, it does show that you know over time you you figure these things out, you know, and you and you change them. So now we're at a point where you know, we're about to launch a video into the mix, you know, and um, work on how do we turn this into, you know, we really don't want to be an advertising based app. We really want to kind of create an understanding among our users if there's value there and that, you know, for a little bit on a monthly basis, they can pay for that value and um, and build community and build, build friendships. And if you know, we're able to or
0: have social do social apps have that sort of money. Does anyone else have that monetization dating apps do dating apps? Do. Dating apps. That's
1: do. right. And, you know, if you look at the top grossing apps on, on iTunes right now, I think the, I think number two is probably Tinder. And if you look at, you know, how that monetization works, it is based on, um, it's based on a number of different triggers, but a lot of it is like, you know, visibility of your profile. You're, you're willing to pay extra money for like, um, You know being able to stand out you know stand out among the crowd or tell someone they're special and you know along with just added features for for a monthly subscription you know subscription level um most of the dating apps you know it'll end up being 20 30 bucks a month that that people even on the quote unquote hookup like swipe left swipe right apps they are you know, generating on the subscription side and then top ups, you know, above that, probably on average, you know, it's it's to that 20, 30 buck a month level. Um, We think that you can do that in a social app. I also think it's, you know, I can go on forever about kind of how in the case of Facebook and a lot of these social apps, you know, the users are, you know, the users are the product and the customer is the advertiser, right? Um, Don't want to, you know, tick anyone off where the, where the, uh, where their model is an advertising model. But when it comes to social, I mean, this is why we've run into some of these problems is because everyone expects that social experience to be free. And by being free, you're putting yourself in the position of saying, well, you know, I have to give up my data. I have to give up, you know, access, uh, access to myself on this platform to, you know, essentially pay. I mean, that's how you're paying. You're paying by becoming, by becoming the product. And so um, we want to make sure our users are our users. And if there's something of value that they want, then we're going to figure out a way to make it you know, easy and affordable for them to, to pay for it and for, you know, and for there to be that, that traditional you know, relationship. Yeah, I mean, big
0: picture. I, I keep telling people, I believe that the first 20, 25 years of the Internet was defined by advertising business models were full, in full, full force. Moving to a subscription-based internet, across the internet, I think we're going to see massive roll-ups where basically everyone will be part of the Amazon bundle or the Google bundle. We'll say, which bundle are you on? Yeah. Are you on Amazon or are you on Google? I'm on both bundles, right? right? Are you on the Facebook (laughs) bundle? Are you on the Fox bundle? Whatever it is. Um, But I think that's what we're seeing. And I think we're in probably, I don't know, maybe year three, year four of this, of, of year 25 to go. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's exciting, and I think it's exciting to think about consumer B2C startups like yourself thinking about it that way, trying to provide services. You're not explicitly a dating app, yet you're still thinking about it in this direction. You're still thinking about monetization in this direction. I think it makes sense.
1: Yeah, and I think there's a gap. You know, th- there's still, I mean, we've been very lucky in that there's still <laughs> there's still kind of this, this uh, unserved market, you know, of folks who, you know, don't want to be found on, on Tinder. You know, it's funny because Jason Calacanis was the one who said, oh, this is kind of like the app for people who are too embarrassed to be on Tinder.
0: Yeah. So tell people you were on the Jason Calacanis podcast.
1: Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's an interesting, interesting story. So I'd always, you know, I'd met Jason a couple times. I don't think he would, he would have remembered per se who I was. Obviously listened to his podcast for a long time, always, you know, had been followed on, twitter and engage with his producer and so you know i was trying to be visible over time um which was a which was a good thing and then out of the blue um well not out of the blue for them calling me but they were doing a um, right at the height of all the facebook controversy hitting he was thinking of doing a um a incubator cohort that was kind of alternatives to facebook
0: you're you're saying it kindly because I think that he was pretty adamantly against Facebook. And oh them, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. them just basically ripping off Snapchat.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and a whole bunch of you know the the privacy issues. He also you know predicted uh, you know. It, pretty pretty astutely a uh, number of the different things that, that came to light post Cambridge analytica and and some of these things he was saying like hey you know when we start to see who was spending money on these ads i guarantee you you know it these are the things you're going to start to see so he was pretty harsh on it. and i think you know the, the the great thing about jason is that his business model is really to create you know a massive funnel with his with his conferences and with his um, founder institute and then with the accelerator to really filter down to Giving him access and visibility to the best entrepreneurs and the best startups out there to invest in. I mean that that ultimately is the is the Jason Calacanis media strategy, which I think is is great, right? It's it's feeding down into that, while providing a lot of education, a lot of insight into founders, everything. It's feeding into that discovery, and so I think this idea of the anti Facebook thing was really interesting. So I I just you know the form was pretty quick, filled out the Google form, submitted it. And I think uh, a couple days later, uh, his producer called and said, yeah, can you be on the show next week? And, you know, and I just bring this up because this is where I think a lot of entrepreneurs, at least maybe half of entrepreneurs out there have that momentary like thought of, ooh, not ready to talk about it. Um, imposter syndrome, whatever it is that kind of hits you where you go oh, I finally have this opportunity to be on the show I've listened to for so long and to pitch, you know, pitch someone like Jason, get feedback that maybe I'm not, you know, maybe we really aren't ready. There'll be some other opportunity. And so that, that hung in my head for about 30 seconds. Or I think I went and like took a shower and focused and thought, you know, are we ready for this? <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then it was like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and do it. And, um, you know, on the day of the show, there were two other, I think, uh, two or three other companies pitching. One of them, Arena, which I really like, um, I think it's A-R-E dot N-A. I'm trying to remember what their, their URL is, but um, uh, I think they had a great pitch. Other two companies there less less memorable, but, you know, got up there. I had been prepping with, like, all these hard questions Jason could be asking me and, you know, had all these answers ready to go. And uh, I think it was the first, maybe the first or second company to get up there on the mic and pitch and did the quick pitch, had the deck. Um, and you know Jason was just very very positive in his feedback. and um, so that was exciting, just kind of being on the show and getting the visibility. And you I actually, weren't like,
0: "My God, what an asshole." <laughs> no, no, I was like, no, it, it, it,
1: yeah. I, I was like waiting for, you know, I, I don't know, it'd been a while since I heard some of the some of the pitch shows, I guess, and I was just waiting for it to be more of a, you know, um why are you doing this why are you doing that you know uh, have you thought about you know revenue yet how much traffic did you get from that you know uh traffic downloads to the app not not much but i think i think where the where the insight came was just a lot or where the traffic or the feedback came were just a lot of people i know going oh my god i saw you on yeah you know i was just listening and it was you and and even people i'd worked with you know i've worked with maybe a 20 years ago, like in 97 or 98, you know, someone reached out, a couple of people reached out to me, they're like, Oh, my God, next time you're, you're up here, we should have a coffee or something. So it was, um, I think it was, you know, it, it was just a great experience to get on there, have the visibility, be able to leverage that clip when it came to, you know, investor updates and everything else, it's always good to show that show that you're visible. Um, We did get in that group, we got selected down to the final, I think the final like 20 companies that were then going to go down to the final 10 uh, that were going to become part of the incubator. Uh, And when they got down to the date where they were going to announce the final 10, uh, they more or less said, you know what, we don't have enough here that we want to work with from the standpoint of having an actual entire cohort that we're going to pass, but good luck if you want to apply to our to the rest of our accelerator program. Got it. So, so they dumped all of you. They dumped they dumped everyone who was in the final group. Yeah, without any any designation of like you know who who would have been like maybe in the two or three that were. And do you it, feel like it was a ploy? No, I don't think it was a ploy. I mean, I I just feel like again, I I feel like it's it's part of the model that they run, which is you know a it's a funnel it's a filter down to you know so you know uh, probably like 400 companies applied right it got down to a list of like 100 of the 100 they took that down to 20 and of the 20 they were going to have 10 and so you know it's just a funnel process and i think if if the companies are not at the right stage um I went and sat in on one of their one of their accelerators. And I think you can find, I don't know if these videos are on YouTube. If you search for them, search for launch accelerator, but you get a very good sense of where a company needs to be to be in the accelerator. And at the time, we were not in the right place from either a growth standpoint or a revenue standpoint, right? Most of the companies who are in the, I mean, one thing that I really applaud Jason with is he's a focus on product. You have to have a launched product, a product in market somewhere, even if it's, you know, just launched or or tested. So, you know, having a product in market was, you know, one, you know, check check off that. Two, having users check that off. But three, you know, figuring out where revenue is and all of that. We were a little shakier on that, shakier on how we were going to drive growth long term. So I just think personally we weren't ready. I think we've got the relationships there, you know, when the when the project's at the right stage.
0: I try to tell people, I try to tell people the bar is so high in 2019. You have to have a shipped product, like Jason says. You have to be out there. Number one. Two, you have to be doing things. Like it's no you can't it's no longer about plans. It's no longer. I know some startups, I've seen a lot of startups recently where I'll take a look, I'll review. And they'll have some incredibly complex product roadmap to the point where I don't even understand where they are. That doesn't work. I'm sorry. If you confuse people to the point where they have no idea what you're doing, it doesn't work. You have to have traction. You either have to have a big growing audience
1: or you have to be generating revenue. And and that's just where it is now. Yeah, that's the bar you have to meet. And if you can't come in, and I get a lot of folks, you know, I mean, I'll even have inbound on my angel list profile of like folks doing social apps who want to either want, you know, be involved in some way or advisory or whatever. And, um, you know, if, if there isn't something in market, right? If there isn't, um, you know, if you can't tell me, okay, if someone invests, you know, 100K, right? You're out looking for money. If someone invests 100K, where is that going to get you? Like if you can't articulate that, you know, 100K is going to help us, launch the following features, get to this particular size, get ready for the next round or whatever it is, then you know, you you haven't thought through it or if the plans are grander than that, then no no, I don't care, you know, where you're going to get when you have the 4 or the 10 million, like just tell me, you know, if I invest if anyone else invests, what is this going to get you? Uh, you know, wh- how far is this going to get you? And that gives me a good sense of the team. I had someone come to me recently who's essentially a solo founder developer who had built something that, you know, people were already signing up for. And he he designed the whole UI himself. He hacked everything together. He, he built it. Um, and, you know, he's been approached by other big public companies in the space who have noticed what he's doing. And, um, you know, that to me, that shows me, okay, if you can do that with almost nothing or with money from you know friends and family just a just a little bit and you can actually build something yourself and get it out there and iterate on it and you're absolutely obsessed obsessed about you know how it's going to grow and what the next features are going to be and what to do next and you're just telling me like i i need i need help figuring out you know those priorities i need help finding some investors that's pretty exciting you know to see someone who's who's done so much with so little.
0: Yeah. I keep threatening. I really want to do a podcast where, uh, we just get entrepreneurs starting businesses within an hour and see how far we get, like yeah. how far can an entrepreneur get in an hour? Yeah. And I think we're going to do it pretty soon because you can get incredibly far in an hour these days. So the bar just is, it's, it's high. You have to be, you have to be what you're describing. And if you're not, sorry, it's just, it's, it's too, it's too bad. Yeah. So, so Dan tell, um, Tell me, like, I always ask everybody, what are you really bullish on here in 2019? Is there anything, any trend, anything you're sort of looking at right now where you're like, hmm, this is interesting? What do you see out there that's hot?
1: Oh, that's a really good, that's a really good question. Um, boy, I probably had some strong opinions a couple months ago as all of this, um, you know, again, I'm, I'm very, I try to be very in tune in the social space, you know, um, I think, you know, the, the AirPods have somewhat, I think, and in, in just the idea of, you know, kind of persistent Bluetooth headphones, um, are going to do something, you know, ha- have an impact on audio and audio content that we're not even fully aware of yet. Such a great point. Um, so I think, you know, I mean, this is stuff. I mean, when you, you know, people are falling asleep with these things in. So you start to, you start. I I was
0: in New York last week and I swear to you, every other person in downtown New York had these things on. Yeah. Every, and they're just in permanently as you describe. Yeah. I know when I bought them, I tried to keep one in my ear for a week without taking it out. (laughs) I, I, again, I feel like I was like one of the first people to try this. Yeah. And it pretty much worked. It wasn't quite ready for prime time, but I feel like we're getting closer and closer to that point.
1: Yeah. I, I think we're getting close to this idea of, you know, some type of persistent audio experience almost even before like walking around in, in AR glasses, like you're much more likely to be, you know, having some type of ongoing, you know, persistent audio thing going on. Um, and that obviously rolls into this whole idea of, you know, just I think I, I'm now, you know, pretty fascinated and have been for a while just on, you know, podcasting and audio and, you know, content creation and how can you, how can you decrease the barriers for, you know, making making content. Um, whether that's a video and or audio, I mean, I remember my son saying, Hey, I want to have a YouTube channel. And this is, you know, a couple of years ago. And I thought, gosh, you know, the, the, what is involved in, in effectively, you know, doing that production wise seemed to be like, there's some pretty, you know, pretty big hurdles there. I think on the, on the audio and video side, if we can get to some tools that are, and, and I think there, there are some things out there that are, that are doing this, um, get to a point where, that becomes pretty frictionless that we're going to have this, you know, explosion in, in content. Yeah. I mean, we're already seeing it.
0: I, I think uh, what I have really have been looking forward to and why I actually got into the voice space in the first place was I really think we'll see short, frequent interactions given the AirPods. Yep. So instead of thinking of, it, of a 45 minute podcast or even a short form 45 or like five minute podcast, think of it as instead of short check-ins, almost like Twitter, a little bit longer than Twitter maybe where it's like you're checking in with Tim Ferris I don't know 5 8 12 times a day and he gives you a little update that's maybe 30 seconds a minute and you're like hey Tim what are you up to right now Tim's like hey hey everybody this is what I'm up to man I'm like hanging out right now with my dude he's in a Ferrari and like we're checking out this bookstore like that that's the future I think yeah. uh where audio's going and that happens with those persistent airpods
1: yeah, and you you talk about when we were talking about my drive previously. Like, you know, if I have waves or something going, and I'm listening to an audiobook or podcast, it doesn't. I've become now trained to the fact that it's going to interrupt. Yeah, and then my audio is going to continue. So if that interruption came from you for 30 seconds, give me a quick update. You know, on on this amazing you know experience you just had, or or you know some uh, great entrepreneur you just met. That's you know that's value to me.
0: Yeah, should we call that a voice alert? Like like the be. equivalent yeah. of an alert on a cell phone. It's like. You subscribe to my voice alerts. Well, I'm just going to check in with you any like five, eight, 12 times a day. Yep. Talk to you for a minute. And like, that's my little alert. Yep.
1: I like it. I think it, I I think, and I think there's some, there's some folks out there right now. I'm forgetting, um, I'm blanking right now on the name of the company, uh, but I know that they're, there's some folks that are in beta right now on the app side of things are experimenting with that idea of like just having the app persistent on your phone and during the day and it just drops in or, you know, messages from your friends, audio messages from your friends just drop That's in. hot. That's hot. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, watching the behavior of, you know, I've always tried to watch like, you know, how do my kids use technology, um, which I think is always precursor to what's going to happen next and seeing my son's engagement on the gaming front, he's a big gamer. I've always been a big gamer. I just don't have enough time to to be as engaged as as he can. Being a being a twelve year old, um, his behavior when it comes to Xbox, Fortnite, and other games um, has me convinced that there is a new social paradigm coming for that generation. That. And we even find this sum with butter where people kind of go like, oh, someone would want to be friends with someone that they never meet. And I find it being, you know, it's a purely generational thing. So when he, uh, so when I, uh, I'll I'll draw the contrast and why I'm so excited about kind of that behavior that I'm seeing. And I don't think it's a, I don't think, depending on how you parent, I think, you know, video games and all of that can actually be a very good thing and a very positive social thing. Um. When I play, I play you know single player long you know uh, long narrative type games. Right, I'm not really into multiplayer stuff. Uh, when my son jumps on the Xbox, he doesn't jump on the Xbox to play Fortnite. At the end of the day, he really doesn't do that. He'll jump on the Xbox if his friends are not on, and those friends consist of people he knows at school, people he's never met before face to face. Right. But some of them, they've had friendships over the last, you know, four or five years. They, they've been friends online from Minecraft all the way through now to like, you know, something like Fortnite uh, or Apex Legends or whatever the next, you know, kind of uh, uh, game's going to be. But he gets on there to be with his friends. They choose multiple games to play. And they don't, you know, he's not getting on to play Fortnite per se. It may be that they that they decide to play something else. Yeah, he's getting on to hang out with his friends. He's getting on to hang out with his friends. Yeah. And like I said, you know, two-thirds of those friends, three quarters of those friends are people he's never going to meet face to face, right? But they know they know their, you know, they know their names, they know their ages, they know what their interests are in school, they know yeah. what their parents do for work, you know. And so anytime anyone tells me that this idea of social interaction you know, um, remote social interaction and being friends with people who you're likely to never meet face-to-face is not going to be huge. I'm convinced that really at the end of the day, and we've talked about the value of face-to-face, right, and the value of of that. But I do think a big portion of what that generation is going to experience long-term, both with work in the work environment and social environment is going to be, you know, long-term friendships and relationships with people You know remotely who they're they're likely not to meet face to face that's gonna you know that impacts gaming that impacts social apps that impacts how you work because you know remote he's going to be much more attuned to the idea of working remotely with these people you know he's just meeting you know through a remote connection or through a through some type of you know um zoom call then you know, even the idea of going into an office and working with five or six different people. And it's because of how he's been exposed to the technology. Yeah. And
0: I would actually argue that it's on a adult level. It's happening very rapidly Already. as well. People just in the last, I would say, year and a half, people now feel very comfortable spending money and consulting with a doctor online that they never meet. That has That was never the case until the last year and a half. Same with physical trainers. Right where in the education space right now, it's rapidly, rapidly changing. I think we see it with doctors, trainers, and we're increasingly. And I know there's NVC, um, the psychology, like psychologists, like that market starting to pop off. I, I just think we're seeing it across the board, and we're just picking our our spots. Yeah, right now.
1: Yeah, of of, of where we feel comfortable or. You know, I, I know people who probably would never, never be willing to, you know, take a medical consult, you know, uh, remotely where uh, others, the convenience level is, you know, uh, you know, tips it over and, and, and makes it, you know, an incredibly viable thing. So I think I, I just think we, we have a generation now and, and I'm always looking to, OK, you know, who's going to be buying these things? Who's going to be engaging with these products you know, in their early 20s, you know, 10 years from now when hopefully I'm still. Uh, a very viable <laughs> entrepreneur slash advisor investor, you know it, it's going to be this generation right now that that does not even think twice about, you know, the difference between the kids they play with online or the kids they they run around the neighborhood with and, and ride their bikes with, which is which is going to accelerate everything you're talking about. It's crazy, man. Crazy. It's so a, Dan, where, virtual world.
0: Where uh, where can people find you?
1: Boy, uh, folks can find me on. Twitter, I kind of go through spurts of being trying to be prolific there and then not, but that's just D flanagan. So it's D F is in Frank. L A N E G A N. It's it's Flanagan with an E. Um, and they can also uh drop their email into differencelab dot So that's just difference, like the word difference, like to make a difference. Lab. That's your like, brand. Like a science lab.com. Yeah, that that's a company that 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 butter is under but yep. at, at difference lab.com we have a little email field there that folks can drop in their email and uh there's going to be some uh stuff that i'm starting to do and kind of map out over the next few months so they can do that i'll keep them updated on on what i'm doing and obviously you know reach out to me on linkedin and connect and you know, yeah if you have a product question problems. you want to chop it up about crypto you want to chop it up yeah. about
0: about b2c you want to just anything yeah hit, hit me up on twitter that's so a send me good a conversation on, man. On LinkedIn, yeah. i'm telling you this is the guy I, go to. <laughs> I i love chopping it up with you man
1: hey same here it's it's been a long yeah, time so it's been yeah. good
0: well uh we'll have to have you back next time we'll do i i keep telling people we're next time we're, we'll do some stuff on video maybe we'll run through some cool things you're working on we'll show people what it looks like and we'll go from there sounds like a plan all right man till next time thanks man